This episode of the MGMA podcast is brought to you by Walmart Business. It's the Walmart you love, now for business. Get everything you need for your staff and patients in one place. Enjoy big savings on health and safety products, cleaning supplies, over-the-counter medications, and much more. And don't forget the break room snacks. Create a free account today and start shopping at business.walmart.com. That's business.walmart.com. Hello, this is Craig Weberg, Senior Editor with MGMA. Today I'm joined by one of our uh, conference speakers, Justin Chambly, Senior Vice President at Coker Group. Justin will be speaking at the MGMA 2019 Data Conference in Orlando on May 16th. His pre-conference session is titled, Compensation Planning for the New Age of Healthcare. Welcome, Justin. Uh, thank you for joining me today. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thanks, Greg. Happy to be here. Uh, just a, a brief background. Um, uh, I work for a company called the Coker Group based in Atlanta, Georgia. We're a healthcare consulting firm, and my core focus there is uh, co-leading our financial services group and specifically working on physician compensation matters. So I spend about 80% of my time uh, either working on compensation valuation initiatives, uh, making sure that uh, transactions between health systems and physicians are compliant from a fair market value and commercial reasonable standpoint. But then the, the other key focus is on compensation strategy, making sure and, and helping health systems ensure that they are appropriately compensating physicians from a structural standpoint, making sure that the incentives are aligned, uh, that the compensation plan is consistent with market norms. So that's really the, the, the core focus of where I spend my time. And I'm sure that you stay busy with that. Lots going on there. That is so, true. Yeah. So in Orlando, um, let's jump right in and talk about the session that you're going to be leading. Uh, you're leading a three-hour pre-conference session, and you're talking about the next generation of physician compensation planning. And I was wanting to have you expand upon that a little bit. And what are you meaning by the next generation? And what, what does that mean for physicians, administrators, uh, health systems? Yeah, that's a great uh, question. We're excited to be presenting at this this conference and lending some of the expertise that uh, that we have garnered over the years to those in, in the industry. But uh, really, what we're looking at is is focusing on a, a couple key things. First, the why. You know, why why is planning surrounding physician compensation important? And, and looking at the changing dynamics in the industry and how that is affecting the structure and strategy surrounding physician compensation, uh, looking at uh, the best practices approach to going through step-by-step -step, uh, to redesigning or designing a physician compensation plan. And then uh, within that, looking at the key elements that, that need to be there to make sure that the compensation strategy is successful in the future. And that's dealing with items such as the changing reimbursement environment, the changing generation of physicians who uh, perhaps are, are motivated by different dynamics than those uh, of, of past generations, and other key considerations that are pertinent to today's healthcare environment. Okay, I was thinking that the next generation was definitely talking about value-based care, and I'd like to talk a little bit about that. 
um, you know, value-based care has been on our radar for many years and it has started to grab hold a little bit. I think that we're getting up into, you know, 20 to 30% of um, contracts for physician practices have at least some element of value-based um, reporting or quality reporting in it. Um, now this offers a great deal of complexity to the operations of the medical practice and, you know, is changing the way that uh, physicians need to practice somewhat or at least report. Um, and one of the biggest factors is how to make these changes organizationally and with your providers. So what are, how are some physician compensation plans changing to work within this value-based reimbursement model? Yeah, great, uh, great question, Craig. I would say the two key focal points that uh, come up when, when we are engaged to work on compensation strategy projects uh, is either financial viability, meaning uh, just the, the health systems questioning whether they can afford uh, the compensation model that they have in place long term, uh, and second, and, and likely most predominantly, the focus on value-based incentives and the need to see their compensation model morph and change to ensure that it has a value-based element to it. Uh, so, so those are key focal points right now with the value-based piece being perhaps the, the larger of the two. Um, you are correct in most physician arrangements having some element of value-based incentives right now. And what we oftentimes do when working with, with uh, health systems or medical groups relative to the value-based landscape is understanding truly what their landscape is, meaning uh, working with a, a health system or medical group in rural Minnesota is very different than working with a health system or medical group in uh, Boston. And yep. we have to cater the dynamics of uh, the comp structure to those, those uh, uh, specific markets, uh, specifically talking about the rural Minnesota element, uh, you know, MIPS may be the only thing that they're focusing on right now because the payers in the market may not uh, be that gung-ho about uh, shifting to value-based incentives yet, and thus they don't want to get too far ahead of the curve. Uh, whereas in Boston, if there's a lot of... Uh, uh, focused by the payers on value-based incentives, then they need to be a little bit more aggressive in restructuring their compensation strategy to, to, to meet the changing dynamics of the payers in that market. So we take a very market-specific approach, understanding what the market is, uh, is focusing on, and then crafting an incentive model that uh, will, will move in lockstep with uh, the, the payers in the market. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, if you're going to be incentivizing and measuring people on, you know, different performance metrics, uh, it's got to make sure to align with the money that's coming in. So that, that makes a lot of sense. So uh, the next step, the next question for me is, you know, what are some of those performance metrics that are be, being used in compensation plans forever? Or, or I'm very familiar with the productivity-based or eat-what-you-kill model where you're looking at um, collections or you're looking at RVUs, I think those are standard. Are there other new metrics that are being used or, or commonly being used to build out compensation plans? Sure. Uh, 
as you noted, a, a key element of, of physician compensation is still uh, volume-driven, and whether that uh, measurement is, is predominantly collections or work RVUs, uh, those are still very much in vogue and, and used heavily. Uh, we see those being supplemented by other components as the market continues to shift, though. Uh, one, that is still some element of, of uh, a production metric is in primary care, a growing focus on panel size and panel incentives, meaning let's, let's incentivize primary care physicians to uh, grow and maintain a strong panel of patients, and, and let's recognize the panel management work that they're doing on a day-to-day -day basis that may not generate work RVUs. And so we see uh, panel becoming more of a focus in the primary care realm. And then across the board, we see the value-based incentives growing. And uh, those can range uh, heavily in terms of, of the focus. Many organizations who are just starting out with value-based incentives will oftentimes focus on what I would call process-based metrics, meaning did you do this, did you do that, with the intent that if we do these items, uh, or do these these tasks, they will lead to higher quality. The more robust value-based initiatives, which are you know just have have matured, <clears throat> meaning they've they've been in place for longer, are are seeing the shift from process-based metrics uh, and, and you know just the completion of certain tasks to focusing more on the actual outcomes, meaning outcomes-based measures. Uh, and, and, and with the assumption that we are doing the work that's needed to drive better outcomes. Yeah, uh, this is, uh, I've heard, you know, exactly what you're talking about. There's, there's a range here from just starting and, and checking a box or pay for reporting versus actually changing the curves of what you're looking at, either cost or quality outcomes. Uh, so many questions there, I could go in different directions. Say you're in a mature health system that, you know, is involved in some, you know, whether it be Medicare Advantage or ACOs, you know, just kind of rule of thumb, what would a quality metric percentage look like? What, what percentage would be still productivity-based in an ACO, let's say, uh, versus the quality side? Just kind of, you know, typical rule of thumb. Yeah, sure. It's a it's a great question, and as you noted, it it really heavily varies based on what's going on in the the uh, uh, the market relative to payers and their focus on value based incentives. Meaning, if we're in a market that is predominantly a fee for service, that that's going to influence how much weight that we put on the value based components to some extent. Meaning, even if if payers are not focusing on the value based incentives, we can still look internally as an organization and say, hey, there are certain things that we want to improve from a quality of care standpoint, and we can tie some dollars to that. So not everything has to be driven by uh, the, the, the payers and, and, and what they are putting money towards. Uh, we can have some internal focus as well. But uh, getting back to your question of what's the typical breakdown, I would say in a relatively mature uh, organization where they've got some, some pretty robust uh, value-based initiatives going on. They've got the infrastructure to support the reporting of the, the data, et cetera. For primary care, I would say seeing anywhere from 10 to 25% of compensation tied to uh, value-based initiatives with the remainder, meaning the 
the 75 to 90 percent of compensation uh, being tied to to uh, still volume-based incentives is reasonable. On the specialty care side, I would say five to 15 percent being tied to the value-based initiatives is is within the realm of, of normalcy with the remainder being tied to volume-based in, initiatives still. And the reason for the, the differentiation is by and large, uh, outside of, of, of you know a few specific pockets with specialty care, the predominant focus is still on primary care and what primary care can do to enhance the quality of an overarching population. And so we see a little bit more of a focus on the value-based realm for primary care versus the right, right. You, you typically see a lot more value-based um, models uh, eligible for the primary care physicians and the population health and the chronic care management versus kind of, you know, just maybe bundled payments when it comes to more specialty care or some, some measures like that. So that's right. That makes sense. Um, so I have, uh, you know, observed several compensation sessions. We just had a financial management comp, uh, conference, and I was able to take a look at a couple of those compensation sessions. And they said something interesting to me, um, and I think it ties into what you're going to be talking about uh, at your pre-conference session, that um, after you have built a plan out and when you've designed the plan, you know, part of it, the success of a plan is communicating it out to people and making sure that the physicians understand it. One of the tools that um, they were talking about that this particular uh, speaker was talking about was kind of how you um, propose and how you communicate to the physicians about your quality metrics and whether they're added in as a bonus structure for meeting your quality metrics or whether they're taken away for not meeting your quality metrics. I don't know if you find this to be a, um, a point, an important point of view. Um, I, I was going to have you comment on that. I found that pretty interesting when that, when that other speaker was talking about that, that model. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Uh, it's a great, uh, great question, Craig. And, and it gets, it, it hits the heart of, of, uh, what I would call the carrot versus stick discussion, meaning do we dangle a carrot in front and uh, let the physicians work towards achieving that, or if they don't do what we or the health system or medical group is asking them to do, you know, do, do we use the stick? And in our experience, we see there being a lot more um, benefits to using the carrot approach versus the stick approach, meaning uh, giving somebody something and then taking it away uh, psychologically does not feel as good as, as uh, providing an, an opportunity to, to achieve more. And economically, that doesn't mean you have to get to a different answer in the carrot versus stick approach, meaning we set the base perhaps a little bit lower with the, the opportunity to earn incentive versus saying, hey, we're going to give you something and then if you don't don't maintain a certain standard, we're going to take it away. So we, we abide by the carrot approach uh, uh, in, in most instances. And, and the one caveat I would note is we see many organizations setting what I would call minimum work standards. And, and that is, hey, if you're going to be a physician here, 
these are the baseline activities and responsibilities that we expect you to uh, to perform, and we're not going to incentivize you to do these things, meaning attending certain meetings and other things akin to that that uh, uh, may have historically been baked into some kind of, of value-based or performance-based incentive. We're just going to expect that so that then we can focus the incentives on truly value-added activities. And so I, I think a robust minimum work standard coupled with carrots for uh, um, achieving certain certain uh, key objectives is is our uh, approach and, and uh, what we try to to influence organizations to uh, adopt. Yeah, I think there's some really interesting behavioral economic pieces in there. I've been reading a little bit about that and, you know, what are the incentives that get people to move and uh, move the needle and, you know, how do you keep them engaged and, and feeling like they are making progress rather than having to simply check some boxes. So um, I, I would agree with that. The literature I've been reading is that the carrot is generally uh, more in, um, effective than the stick for sure. So I wanna go back to one other thing that you had mentioned earlier, uh, which is really interesting to me is the new physician dynamic and what their expectations and needs are. Um, I was wondering if you could just comment a little bit on that and how the new crop of physicians are changing the way physician compensation plans are being created yeah it's uh it is an ever-changing dynamic i i think uh in in, in and i'm not gonna, going to over uh, general generalize uh, the the new physician dynamic i mean there's there's obviously some uh some variation there but uh you know the the whole idea of work-life balance is a key focal point for uh, new and existing uh, or newer physicians, I should say, and uh, the, the expectations of call and other activities that uh, typically were just assumed by a different generation of physicians are not uh, the, the, the norm anymore. And so as we develop incentives, I think we have to keep in mind uh, what we are asking physicians to do, are they reasonable objectives, and, and making sure that we are creating incentives that are truly achievable. Uh, you can develop the best incentive plan, but if, if the incentives are not achievable, uh, the, the plan is, in, in essence, ineffective. And so we have to truly look at you know, what is reasonable uh, for physicians to achieve, uh, what are the things that uh, we need them to do that are perhaps not what they most desire to do and, and develop incentives to push them in, in, in those directions and then make sure that we have re realistic expectations of what we can can get out of them so that, that, that we are not uh, in essence setting uh, incentives up such that uh, it, it creates failure versus success. A very tricky a science and art it sounds like. We've got the carrot and the stick and the science of the art. It's um, you know dealing with uh, kind of moving quality targets and, you know, wanting to get people to work up to their potential, but also trying to keep them engaged with their own desires and needs. So a very tricky um, profession that you are right in the middle of it, for sure. So, and I'm sure it keeps it interesting. Every, every uh, new engagement is a, is a new challenge, for sure, I bet. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, one thing that we didn't talk about, but uh, it's probably worth mentioning is in, in that that dynamic is, is the whole idea of change management, meaning uh, how do you get from point A to point B? Um, 
there's a lot of focus in terms of compensation strategy design or redesign in terms of just developing the good model and the model that we want to shoot for, i.e. The, the point B. But if we don't have an effective strategy to get from point A to point B, uh, the point B is no, not going to ever be effective. And so a lot of the focus in compensation strategy uh, projects and, and what we will focus on to some extent in the session is that change management aspect. You know, how do we best move from point A to point B? And, and a lot of that is working with physicians to educate them on the new model and demonstrating how they will perform on the new model prior to the implementation of the new model so that there's a level of comfort uh, prior to full implementation. I like the term that you used in there. Um, forever I have been hearing it as compensation planning. I'm, I'm hearing you talk about compensation strategy and I think that that encompasses that change management piece and the communication piece and I really like that. I think that I'm going to start using that nomenclature when talking about compensation for physicians. Thank you so much, Justin, for sharing your insights today. You can hear Justin speak live at the data conference in his pre-conference session, Compensation Planning for the New Age of Healthcare, on Thursday, May 16th in Orlando. Also through April 16th, we have a special discount for podcast listeners. You can go to mgma.com slash datacon, that's D-A-T-A-C-O-N, Podcast listeners will follow that link and receive a $200 off the regular registration price by entering the code PODCAST. Thanks again for being an MGMA Insider. I'm Craig Weberg. The popular buzzword we've been seeing everywhere is AI. But what we all want to know is how we can implement and use it to our advantage. When it comes to improving margins, accelerating cash flow, and optimizing staff performance, there's a one-stop shop using cloud-based predictive analytics. MGMA Analytics is your AI-enabled tool that upscales technology you've already been paying for, so you can silo your disparate systems and make data-backed business decisions. Visit mgma.com analytics and see how AI can revolutionize your finances in operations. Again, visit mgma.com slash analytics today.